And this is Christine. And we are Shenanigans. Thanks for stopping by. Today's podcast pairing is with LaMarca Prosecco. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks. (laughs) Uh, So typically, our podcast is going to be about Jen and my shenanigans over the years and all of the fun, laughter, light, and love we like to have and share and all the in-between. But there These were first episodes are heavy. They are. We, but we but we laugh through it all. I think we try. We do. We yeah. Try. But um, through that all, I think we always find the beauty in the broken and we try to make funnies out of the very heavy and we try to overcome and persevere and see things in a positive way. Right. And don't be offended by our dark humor because that happens too. It's our way of we, it's the way we get through things, right? It's the way we cope. Yeah, it's the way. So Jen is going to share her story today of a chapter in her life that was most definitely a veer in her journey and something that has definitely changed the trajectory of her life. Thank you. So I have never shared my story publicly and it is hard for me and I'm a little nervous about it. And by little, I mean a lot. That's why we've drank a bottle before this. Absolutely. It changed my perspective about life and living and how I live my life. So here I will go. I'll give you a little bit of background. As many of you know, I'm a nurse. And at the time of this... Because all of our listeners are our friends. That's right. At the time (laughs) of this, I was a psychiatric nurse manager and I was performing assessments on adults and children for mental health and suicidality. And I felt very confident in my role. I loved my job. It was a time in my life where I was going through some different things. My mom had recently been diagnosed with an aggressive form of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and she was given two years to live. And she was only 50 years old at the time. And I had, prior to that, I had met a great guy, and his name was Jason. He was the best. He was the best. And I had started dating him, and he was very supportive. We met, we had two fairly rare, similar breeds of dogs, Vishlas, Stella and Clayton, Mm -hmm. shout out. (laughs) Um, And we were building a beautiful, fun life together, vacationing and hiking, and we did all kinds of amazing things together. He was a light in the darkness. And he was your light after some dark times that you went through, and he was this... This bright, charismatic, amazing, funny guy. Very inappropriate. Yeah. 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 So we just were having fun. We were just having a great time. In right around, my mom started having treatment and I was kind of overwhelmed by her diagnosis. In the middle of that, Jason proposed to me on the waterfront in Newburyport, which was wonderful. So that was March. And we were going to have a short engagement and get married in October of 2007. I was going to be an MOH. Yes. No. Maid of honor. Yeah, yeah, MOH. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Sorry. Yep. That's correct. That was what she was going to do. Not to be... Right. Yes. Um, So we were having a blast. We were writing our own vows. We were having booze tastings and food tastings and cake tastings and all the fun things that go with wedding planning. And my mom was simultaneously going through chemotherapy. We were trying to figure out what was going on with her. And Jason and my mom spoke a lot on the phone. They had a really unique relationship. So that was really nice. During that time... Wait, and I just want to interject and say that 
I feel like the rest of us who are friends with you were a little envious of your time getting to do this now because I think I probably had baby throw up all over me. We had all gotten married a little bit earlier and you got to do it when you actually had some money mm-hmm. and you knew what you were doing and you were a little bit more mature about things. Oh, well, slightly. I mean, I was still, I was only like 31. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just mean not age-wise. <laughs> oh, right. Maturity-wise. Yeah. So, not yeah, that we mature, have, but yes. I didn't have baby throw up on me, but maybe other kinds. <laughs> um, I also had a great connection with Jason's big, warm, welcoming family, and I was so excited to be a part of his family. What I didn't fully process is that Jason had, in the past suffered from debilitating anxiety and depression. I knew that he had anxiety about work and he put a lot of pressure on himself. He was a pharmaceutical sales guy, loved his job, but it was hard work. And there was a lot of financial pressure and commissions and things like that that went along with that job, as some of you may be familiar with. It was demanding. I was not fully aware that he was slipping into a depression. He told me that some things that I looked at in the past, like, oh, you shouldn't have to worry about me. You're worrying about your mom. You should be worrying about your mom. You shouldn't have to worry about me. But it was nothing I was worried about. Again, I was doing this every day at work. So I'm doing this at work every day. I'm assessing for depression, anxiety, like all of these things. And I couldn't see it in front of my own eyes. Which, of course, because that was your professional job and this was your personal life. Right. Right. So, I mean, I've learned a lot since then. Unfortunately, the hard way, but I've learned a lot as we all do through life. It was a Tuesday. It was a spring day. Again, we're planning weddings. I'm not worried about anything at this time. Jason tells me that he's going to see his doctor. He was on an antidepressant, which many people are. So again, taking away the stigma of anyone on antidepressants, anyone with depression, anxiety, through this past year, as we all know, we have people have been dealing with anxiety, depression, all kinds of changes, loss, all of that. So I'm trying to get rid of the stigma here because most yeah. of us have at some time in our life have gone through some kind of anxiety or depression. And I really, truly felt that at the time that because of my profession, okay, this guy's on an antidepressant. So what? Right. I'm glad he's he knows that and he's getting yeah. help. Which is the norm a lot, right? Right. Like a lot, I mean, I don't know what the statistic is, but a huge amount of people take some type of antidepressant or anti-anxiety meds, right? Right. At some point in their life, sometimes it's brief, sometimes it's for life. So any other day, it's a Tuesday, it's spring, it's gorgeous outside. Jason was just so kind. He would always start my car. He would, you know, bring my coffee out to my car, you know, kiss goodbye. And I go to work at the hospital and he goes to his job, but I know he's seeing his doctor that day. So I'm done with my work. We usually talk a couple times during the day. And he was the kind of guy that never, like he usually answered his phone. So it wasn't typical for him not to answer his phone. And he had a very good friend who was my roommate, shout out to Brian Wilson, and Brian hadn't heard from him either. So that was unusual. I couldn't get a hold of him. I started to have what I can now reflect on as a panic attack because I had the worst feeling, the worst feeling. I couldn't explain it. 
I still can't explain it, but I was driving down the highway at about 95 miles an hour because I, as I said, I just had a terrible feeling that something was wrong. So got to Jason's condo. So I had a garage door opener in my car and I opened the garage door and Jason had taken his own life by hanging and I fell to the floor. I just lost my legs, lost my breath. And the next thing I remember, I just couldn't, I didn't know what to do. I had lost all sense of rationalization. I was completely, I was just speechless and motionless. I called 911. I don't think the most... um, (laughs) She was horrible. She was a horrible person on 911 and just told me to cut Jason down and try to revive him. I, as a nurse, knew that there was no way that he was going to live. So... I just literally sat sort of in the fetal position and with my head in my hands and sobbed for, it seemed like a long time. I then went next door and visited his elderly neighbor who was sweet as pie. And I still to this day feel terrible about this, but she loved Jason and I told her and couldn't speak, couldn't breathe and asked her to come over and she nearly fainted. And I still feel terrible about that. Jenny, at that point, was the ambulance there? Not yet. And then the ambulance came and they asked me all kinds of questions. And I felt like it was an out of body experience. It's hard to, I mean, I, it's been, you know, almost 14 years, but it feels sometimes now that I'm talking about it, it feels like yesterday. In some ways. And then in other ways, it feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah. And, you know, I always think, too, about Jason's family. And, you know, they are always miss. You know, they always have an empty chair at the table. I always think of that. And, you know, in some ways I was able to move on and I always make space for that feeling and always am with his family in that way because, there certainly isn't a day that goes by that I don't think of him. And I know he's watching mm-hmm. over me and totally. us and his family. I know he is because that's what he would do. Mm-hmm. He was a protector. But I searched for a note, an explanation, an answer, some kind of reason why this would happen. I honestly blamed myself for not seeing the signs, for not paying closer attention. And I went to therapy for a long time after. There were so many things that happened. I couldn't even see, like happy couples made me upset, seeing engagement photos and things like that. Like I had a really hard time with. Like it, it, it killed me. Like it hurt me so bad that, and I, you know, I went through not, you know, grieving is not what everybody thinks, the denial bargaining, acceptance. It's not neat like that. It's messy. Right. And there's no handbook or rules or schedule. No. Right. It's It's messy. Yeah. And it, you know, it hits you years later when a song comes on, when a smell is in the air. Like I felt like it was so unfair to him and to me and to his family and to his friends and all the people that I just felt like it was unfair. That sort of made me 
I mean, you were there for me too. Like my friends, so Christine, my friend Kim, Steve, like I have this group of friends that are just incredible. Like slept in my bed with me. Like Christine had a two month old, my six week. He was six weeks. I mean, it's the same thing as two months, but yeah, he was six weeks. Six weeks. And then Kim, my another best friend, she was pregnant. I was so nervous about all this tragedy like hurting her pregnancy like because she had really tried so many times to have a baby and so they were just amazing like we had so many people at at the house and and it was incredible I will never forget Steve's the one who called me right I remember exactly where I was exactly the weather I saw my kids outside playing and I remember I just walked out of the I walked outside and said I'm leaving I remember just shaking and not believing that it was true and walking out of my front door and just getting in the car and coming to you. Right. It was. So, I mean, there were a lot of feelings going through my head, you know, and there were just logistical things that had to be dealt with. We had planned our wedding. We had planned our honeymoon. There were some, you know, most people were wonderful. There were some vendors that were not wonderful that said, sorry. And there were... To you not know. be named now, but they're... Yeah, but you know, yeah. you know who you are, um, if you're listening. But, you know, there was to try to go back to work and do the thing, you know, assess patients and talk with families about a child or a loved one who is suicidal or having, and I would have to go back to work and do suicide assessments every day. And I felt depleted. I was yeah. a shell. I was going through the motions and I really was faking it till I made it. So like a lot of my friends are like, you, you really just like are a positive person. You're happy. You do fake it. Like when you're going through grief like this and tragedy, you fake it. And that's what you I survive, did. Right. Like you, you have to find a way to survive until you can live and then thrive. Right. That's Which right. You've now been able to do for sure. Right. I can talk a little bit about my husband, Brian, now. Incredible. Be now. So I knew him as a friend prior to meeting Jason, and he had always been a good friend of mine. We met on a boat, and we had a bunch of boat friends who got me through that terrible part of my life, too. And we did not date for years later, but after Jason died... Brian came to my street and we sat on the stoop in my, is that what we call it? Stoop? (laughs) Sidewalk? I'm not sure we do, but people do. (laughs) Yes. But it works. We sat on the sidewalk sort of in the middle of the night talking for hours. And he, besides my close circle, he was the only person that said, let's talk about it. Like, I want to know how you're feeling. Like, tell me about, tell me about this because I know you're going through a world of hurt. And that was the most amazing thing because a lot of people in, in my town would kind of either be overly friendly or they would completely ignore me because they didn't know what to say. Cause right. what do you say? Because suicide is taboo. It is, oh my God, you know, even I lied about it to people that I didn't know very well and said he died in a car accident or I couldn't come to terms with it. I, even in my field, was afraid of that word, afraid of it. And I think even today, even with famous people like 
in the news about having depression, anxiety, and even unfortunately, you know, famous suicides. Like, I feel like it is coming to the forefront a little bit. People are more open about creating um, awareness for sure. Right. We found out later that I never got answers. I never found a note from Jason. So there was never that closure. Closure, yeah. But I did find out later that his doctor that day saw him and thought that he had bipolar and wanted to put him on a mood stabilizer, which in some ways was Jason's biggest fear was that diagnosis of bipolar because that's not an easy diagnosis to live with or to be living with. And I think I still have no answers regarding that, but I can tell you knowing him, he would not want to put a burden on me, on his family. He was afraid of that. Which wasn't actually a burden, but it was his concept of living, Right. right? I'll never forget when he got into that car accident. Do you want to tell that story? So months before that, so Jason was an avid hiker. He used to hike a lot of the 4,000 footers in New Hampshire with two of his best friends who were great, are great. And he went on like some crazy hikes the week before. And then in the middle of winter, he, now he knew his pharmaceutical territory, like the back of his hand and he was out traveling and he got lost and couldn't find him. Like I didn't know where he was again. I made excuses about this, but I thought he had an electrolyte depletion because of all the hiking he had done the week before. And his friend Mike called me and we sort of thought that that was what was happening. I couldn't find him. It was an ice storm. He had driven me to work that day because he didn't want me to drive in the storm because that's who he Mm -hmm. was. Again, couldn't get a hold of him. Very unusual. My friend, this girl, Chris, she drove me to every area hospital in an ice storm trying to find Jason. We finally get to Lawrence General, which was nowhere near where he was supposed to be. And I hear someone singing at the top of their lungs, (laughs) 8675309, Jenny, I got your number. And I was like, oh my God, that Jason. It's my fiance. (laughs) And it was. And he... And he was saying so many more things about you to the nurses, right? And he was just like... He was talking me up, but he was not in his right state of mind at all. And again, I thought this was a complete electrolyte imbalance, dehydration, all of these things. And come to find out, it probably was mania in hindsight. But you wouldn't have known. And we talked right after. I mean... I only saw him as the happy life of the party, like the guy everyone wanted to be around, the guy who made everyone happy and who most definitely made you so happy. Right. He was so good to you. And and I was prior to Jay, like very much team Jen for anything. And no one was ever really good enough for you. No. And Jay really was. And I had no idea. And even when you called me, when you found him after you left the hospital, we just laughed about it because we thought he was like, as you said, had an electrolyte depletion or whatever and was silly. Yeah, crazy silly. Silly, funny, life of the party in the hospital. Still his personality, but just like on fire. Right. So we got through that. I talked with his dad a lot about it and his mom and... I just didn't know the complexity of it. 
And I mean, I just have to say, I truly believe that Jason came into my life for a reason. He made it better. I have, I mean, with grief comes anger, but I have no anger at all. And I don't, I mean, I'm sure I had anger at the time about the loss, but I was never angry with him because I knew he was fighting demons that I couldn't understand. And that's how I look at it. It really changed my perspective on life because I don't take things, I mean, we all take things for granted, but I really try to, I know this sounds cliche, I'm going to say it, but I really try to have gratitude. And I try to- cliche. I think that's like one of the most important things that we both really strive for. Right. Like I try to appreciate life is beautiful in so many ways. And no matter what you're going through, there is light. There is light in the darkness. And as we said in the last episode, you know, if you can weather the storms with your tribe and dance in the sunshine with them, that is an amazing gem, your tribe. My tribe got me through everything. And there is a song by John Mayer called The Heart of Life. And there's a there's a line in it that says, your friends will defend the silver lining. Yeah. My friends defend the silver lining all the time. And for that, I am so grateful for. We have said that for a long time, defend the silver lining, Always, right? Yes. We say if we write a book, that might be the name of right. it. Like Although I, I think you have to defend the silver lining with everything. We get so caught up with the small things and we make them into mountains. And it really is about taking each day, taking a deep breath and enjoying every part, you know, enjoying every day. Yeah. I think we, as we kind of gave you guys in the trailer, have been like sisters since the seventh grade. And we have been through the craziest, worst tragedies imaginable, right? Right. But through it all, you and I have found a way to persevere and to live and to laugh and to be there for each other for literally everything. We have an ongoing joke. Someone will say, I'm going to tell you something, but don't tell anyone else. But that doesn't count for each other because right. we're like one person. I say, I'm brunette, Jen's blonde, and she's the blonde version of me and vice versa. Although you disagree with some of that. But um, we're different, but we have become, I mean, we are sisters. Yeah. We, we don't fight, a, though. We don't fight, no. <laughs> um, we, we only have had like two fights ever in our life. Right. And they're over very important things, which we'll talk about in another um <laughs> episode. But I think that we both just have seen that there is beauty in every single thing. You just have to look for it sometimes. Like sometimes in those horrific times, like if you weather the storm, you need your friends, but you yourself have to weather that storm and there's always a light. Right. Right. And so I am so proud of you for sharing your story because Jen really doesn't talk about it. Like everyone knows, you know, that she was engaged, this wonderful person before, and she now truly has the greatest husband and beautiful daughter on the planet, who, by the way, sings our song at the end of this episode. She's the cutest thing on the planet, but you don't really share that story in its entirety and especially sharing your vulnerabilities about it. Right. Often. Right. Because I think that you do as survivors, you have survivor's guilt and you you kind of question yourself. And given my profession, like I had doubly right. questioned myself. But I think the reason for my sharing this is to bring awareness and light to a very important 
matter and in on here which is anxiety depression bipolar mental illness of any kind and how if you see something or you are concerned about you know reach out to those people talk about it ask questions and you're never alone right you're never alone and so I think if you are or know someone who is feeling thoughts of depression or or worse suicide. They have all sorts of hotlines. One number we have is Suicide Prevention Hotline. It's 1-800-273-8255. But reach out to your people. Yes, often. They they will be there for you. And I think mental health now more than ever needs to be on the forefront. Absolutely. Yes, it is. It's an epidemic in our country and in our world. And I think we do need to talk about it more. Yeah. And we will. We will. And on a much lighter note, you and I might be a little a little crazy anyway, but on the best way possible. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. And we just wanted to give you some background on our chapters that have changed our lives and that we, by the way, have been there 24-7 for each other through those things. And hopefully going forward, we'll have a lot more. What do you say? Belly laughs? Belly? No, I don't even know. Shenanigans, <laughs> but you know. And we'll have some funny guests, too, that have been through crazy life events, but see the silver lining. Yes, they do. And they laugh through all the funnies, too. So thank you so much.